Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name's Danny Murray. I'm Graham Merrigan. Thank you. How are you, Graham Merrigan? Good, how are you? I'm absolutely fucking tremendous. Straight in, now kissing. Who is joining us? Because they're sitting there watching us, and I feel awkward. Yeah, and we've already had a good 10-15 minute chat to warm us up. Um, and we only wish that that was recorded. Um, we have the wonderful... <laughs> see, one of one of these guests who we would have on every week um, only comes on with the other guests from now on. So that, that's in his contract with ourselves. And that is uh, Paul Howard's contract with What's the Story podcast. That in future episodes, he'll only come on if Gary... Mackle is with him. So our guest this week is Paul Howard and WTS correspondent Gary Mackle. Hello, Hello. gentlemen. Hello, lads. Hey, lads. How are you? Uh, great. Thanks very much, Gary. Can Can I just go to you first? There, just um, you're looking very the, the shaved head is it's mm. it's here to stay, is it? Yeah, uh, and I've assist uh, on the top right. It'd be to your left. And uh, the doctor said he won't do anything with it till he can see a capsule, whatever right. that's meant to mean. Um, but yeah, it's here to stay. Uh, I actually like it. I feel liberated when I have it shaved. Liberated? Yeah. From what? I just feel fucking, I feel great. I feel like going to get onto a motorbike and uh, go and pick blackberries or something. <laughs> Would you stop the bike? You'd have to stop the bike, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. But you know what I mean? I've never seen a biker pick blackberries, so fuck it. <laughs> I love the two hairy bikers. That's a great show. Never watched I've never, it. I've never watched an episode of it. Are you serious? Never watched an episode oh, of it. Oh, back me up here, have you? I, I've never seen I'm aware of them. Like, I'm aware of their... their, their um, yeah. They're so, so cultural importance, but I, I never, I've never actually watched them. I do love cooking show. The Food Network would always be on in my room now. Yeah. Would you like? Would you um? Like, would you? Would you do? Would you cook many of the things you see on these shows? Oh, absolutely not. No. 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 <laughs> I just have the milk watering while I'm watching it. Would you, Paul? No, not really. Like, I can follow a recipe, like you know, like an idiot, but I can't. Um, like, I, I wouldn't know how to. I, like, I wouldn't be cooking something and go, "Geez, do you know what? I'd make this even better. A bit of ginger. I couldn't go off." Like I do something bananas, I can add something nonsense. But I'm not, I'm not mad about cookery shows, to be honest. Mary's watching um, the the Great British Bake Off at the moment, like you know, and I yeah. just like the cooking bit fine or the baking, whatever they're doing, you know. But you're like you're crying over fucking scones, like it's <laughs> made a bad scone, right? Why are you crying? <laughs> I'm, I'm just thankful that you're saying scone and not scone. Scone. Oh, I've, that's I've, Protestant say scone, don't they? Yeah, I've, I've very strong feelings about that. That one on what side of the fence I fall on. Yeah, yeah. No, scone is Protestant say scone. Yeah. It's very much a scone where I come from. Not that we had any. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hot cross buns. That's what we had. Hot cross buns, yeah. Hot cr- and they were free, saying, they were free on a Wednesday. Saying. I'm already saying in first year in Lawrence's brother Fred cooks scones, baked scones up in the gaff. Up no, that's brownies. brownies. Oh, brownies, and, that's right, at, yeah. At Christmas, he'd do a batch of cookies. Brother Fred's right. Christmas cookies. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Be... Do you remember the Lawrence's Christmas Bazaar? I used to love that. that, that I think that had rhyme. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I remember them doing a Christmas auction when, when I was up there. But yeah, I an auction. I don't, I don't remember a Christmas Bazaar. Gary, you were never allowed at them. No, I wasn't allowed to any of the functions, unfortunately. 
Uh, is that because you didn't apply yourself to school? I didn't apply myself, yeah. I didn't apply myself. Uh, but uh, like I was voted in as a prefect and they wouldn't let me do it either, which was harsh. Because I won the, won the election. But uh, Paddy Pender approached me and he said, it's, it's probably best for everyone if you stay out of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he but, uh, the election. He's puking in this. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, look at. What, the, the, what did you say to him? I, I just said, I'll give you a few minutes to think about it. I think I'll jump an immature decision. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that only escalated things. Um, I just look at it's my own fault. You know, I didn't apply myself, I was too busy messing and. Uh, well, having said that, like people who did apply themselves for six years and then went on to do six years in college, they're doing fuck all now as well. So, you know, I'll be a shot. We all take different paths, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. totally. I don't know what to say after that. Yeah. I just have a, a picture of you and Paddy Pender. <laughs> something out of House of Cards or something, isn't it? Yeah, sort of, sort of. I'll give you ten minutes. Do a lap there around the school, and uh, do a lap. Yeah, yeah. Paddy Pender is Doug Stamper in this situation, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't bring you down to the uh, drive you in the car into the under underground garage. Like <laughs> he was doing a, a radio show at the time. I, I think it was on East Coast, and he was reading the news in the morning, and. Uh, I said to him, like, you have enough on between school and doing your news without worrying about the, the, the prefect election. And he kind of looked at me and said, none of your fucking business what I do with my life. Something that I, I that never happened in my day at school, but happens all the time now in school. You were talking to teachers as an adult, and I really respect that. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. what what, what made that. you bring his personal life into it, Gary? I was trying to just make him see that we can have uh, more than one thing going on and, and make things work, you know. <laughs> but did but you? He, Pender was a real um, like I don't think he was even a good teacher. He was too busy trying to sound like a fucking yeah. half desperate. <laughs> um, but he, he like he didn't have students students in his heart i always felt he was there for the few bob uh, as opposed to terry dude he was in it for the kids that, that that's the way i would look at it do you remember lawrence's fondly though gary in general your school days in general do you remember them fondly or uh, yeah it was a good school and um, still uh, very close with people who i would have met there uh married one of them as well actually but uh it was a good school i think the brothers ran a good show um there was one or two, uh, like the light. Do you remember that come on to the scene for about a year? No. I would have been in for uh, And uh, let's just say he was a few sandwiches short for a picnic. He was running at about 60%, I'd say. But he organised a, a football tournament uh, and he encouraged us not to wear boxer shorts. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, hang on. Hang on. What? <laughs> and he, he didn't finish the school year. Now this is true. This is this can all be verified. And <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah. And uh he 
very creepy. But he, he didn't finish the school year. He would have left in around March. Obviously, he should have finished up in the June. And about a year later, do you remember Johnny Harding from Wideville? Yes. Johnny seen him in Euro Disney. And he was uh, the, the man dressed up in the Winnie the Pooh thing. <laughs> That's true. Good. And I tell you who verified that, uh, a member of the guards, uh, Robert Kavanagh, he'll verify that for me. That's a true story. I have to say, listening to, to Gary's stories about Lawrence's there, like, um, I went to Lawrence's obviously in a different era to you guys, right? And when I was there, the bro- like when I hear people talk about the brothers in their schools and the nuns and the priests, right? It's just like, I think, I think I grew up in some magical era or something, right? Because those brothers were the most liberal brothers I ever met in my mm. life, right? Yeah, yeah. Like Brother Fred, remember Brother Fred asking us in first year, hey, who, who doesn't believe in God here, you know? But, 20 hands went up in the class. Hey, that's cool. But he didn't care. Do you know what I mean? I never remember a Bible. I never remember seeing a Bible in six years in that school, like, you know? And I suppose the the upshot, of course, was that in 40 years, I think the Marianists recruited one student to be a brother. Like, in 40 years, that was Brother Jerry, like, you know? Yeah, that's right, yeah. He was from Bally Brack, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he he used to to teach us welding. But... Mm. They nearly got Al Kelly, but he didn't. He didn't join up. Right. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. joking. <laughs> oh, Mousy. No, Mousy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we did worry. We did worry that he was. He was there. The Mousy just didn't have the God thing going for him, you know. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> I tell you what, it was like when I joined. Right, I started in 1983. I was thinking about this today because I was. I was watching VH1. We're doing the number ones of of 1983 and 1984. You love nostalgia, don't you? Well, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Like, we can't look for, there's no present and there's no future at the moment. So we only <laughs> fucking have looking back, don't we? <laughs> so anyway, I'm watching this show and and they're all the songs that used to be at the, the Lawrence's discos, right? We used to have these discos in the school, right? Your dad, Meryl, will remember this these days, right? So what are, here's my memories of the school discos. Everybody was shit-faced, right? And I mean from 13 upwards, okay? One of my first memories, first year in school, was walking up to Lachlanstown Hospital, 15 or 16 of us, to visit a friend of ours who was being pumped out in Lachlanstown Hospital the day after Lawrence's disco. He was 13 years of age, and he was being pumped out, right? And it was just... <clears throat> it wasn't even a big deal. It was like, oh yeah, we're just getting pumped out, and we're all there, and the, the nurses are shouting at us, do you think this is funny? And we're going... No, we're just here because he's getting pumped out, like, you know. Uh, <laughs> the slow dancing, right? I swear to God, it was hands down the front of people's, each other's trousers on the dance floor and on the sides of the dance floor, right? And it was like, it was like the teachers who were there were on a, were operating on a whole other level of consciousness and were totally unaware that they were, <laughs> this was like the last days of the Roman Empire or something, right? <clears throat> and then afterwards, the lads from Ashlawn would come up and they'd, there'd be sort of seven or eight lads in the school. They'd want to fight, you know. And every single school disco ended with a full-scale riot outside, right? And I mean, like, four or five Black Mariahs would come and they'd be dragging people off each other, separating them and putting them at the back of the Black Mariahs. And then Brother Joe, who was the, the headmaster at the time, right, he would say the following week, 
it was American, as I say. Al, we're uh, very disappointed to see uh, those scenes of violence at the end of the disco <laughs> on Friday. If it happens again, we're going to have to seriously consider cancelling the discos. And it was like, and eventually they did, but it took about, it was about four years of this. <laughs> and we, we were just looking at each other going, there's no way they can fucking let this continue, like, you know. And they just, this, we were given chance after chance after chance. Oh, it was brilliant. Brilliant. Like, they were so chilled out, those brothers. Like, really, like. I liked them all, like, you know, and I liked all the teachers in that school. Every, even the ones I thought who were a bit mad, I've, you know, fond memories of them, like, you know, and yeah, they, they were a, a lot mad. I remember being in, in, in fourth or fifth year and uh, Brother Dave, um, we had him maybe two or three times a week. And then um, one of the classes was like, oh, this is a, basically a free for all. Ask me anything you want. Yeah. One of the lads like, sword, you wank. <laughs> <laughs> and like, he answered it, do you know what I mean? <clears throat> Jesus. What did he say when he answered it? Well, he, well, he answered it and he oh, goes, uh, did he? Yeah, no, no. He says, <laughs> he said that he, he has done it and that, um, it's, he, but he was going mad at the start because he, then he said, it's none of your business. And then everyone was like, whoa. And then he was like, it, it has, it, of course, we've done it before. Like, because it was about all the brothers. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I don't want to. I think the mental image I'm after getting now would rather veer away from, to be perfectly honest <laughs> with you. Brother Dave is a lovely man, though. He was. Oh, yeah. I think he was only there about two years when I, like, I think he went back to America when I was in about second year, I think. Oh, really? But, yeah. Yeah. I seemed, uh, maybe second or third year. But now I only had them for a year or two anyway. I really love about the brothers, right? See, I, I meet a lot of a lot of people in my in you know where I've worked, you know, they went to these schools, private secondary schools, where they basically it's like an extended adolescence for life. Like they all like they always go on about rock, oh, I'm going back to rock, rock or playing in the senior cup and all that. And it's not like that in Lawrence's like, you know, you don't they don't be bothering you for life saying you need to come back and watch the, the basketball team. Or, <laughs> but anytime something happens in your life, they appear on your shoulder in a really nice, in a really nice way. And I know that because my, my brother died this year, you know, and I turned up the funeral and Father Mike. Father Mike, yeah, I was talking to him. Mate, yeah. Mark Religion is doing the mass at the funeral, like without anyone contacting him, you know, they, they're kind of like a benevolent god looking down over Barry Brack. And <laughs> any sadness or misfortune, they're there for you. I just I just think that's lovely. Like that, and they're not in your life, in your face or anything like that. But you get the emails to say such and such a person from the class of 72, his mother died or something. I, I, I think that's it's really I just think it's a great thing, you know. It's I'd agree with you and I think I, I'd be the same I like the, I, the whole my time that skill with great fondness and, and just you know I'd, uh, I'd struggle to have a bad thing to say about it but like that I mean I'm not living in Dublin anymore but I think the last time I bumped in to any of the brothers I think it was actually brother Fred and father Mike in Tesco and Fred remembered me straight away and I could see Mike trying to figure out who I was <laughs> And I could see him when he was working through it and he's trying to piece it together from the conversation I'm having with Fred. And my man and dad used to have a fruit and veg shop 
and they'd go down every week and get the fruit and veg off them. And when Fred mentioned the shop, Mike's eyes lit up, and he was like, ah, oh, yeah, ah, oh, the, the Murray family, yeah, yeah, I got you, I got you. <laughs> That's a great impression. It's, it's brutal, though, like, because I, I met, I met um, Jerry Morta and uh, Mr. Glenan in the last three or four. My, Mr. Glenan, certainly, I, I met him last year. And when I met Jerry Morta maybe five or six years ago down the Neary, both of them were like, remind me of, of, of who you are again. I was like, I was the only fucking wheelchair user you had, lads. Can you not remember my fucking name? <laughs> but, you know, like, they, you know, they had so many kids pass through their lives over the years. <clears throat> I had this French teacher, Miss Foley. I don't know if you you've had her. Like, she was uh, she was great, you know, but I, I was a bit of a messer in her class and... She had a word with my mother at one of the parent teacher meetings and I just realized I was being a fucking dick in the class like, you know, and um, so we, so I mended me ways and actually gone on all right with the French after that, you know, and um, anyway, I met her in the dog in the dog run in Cabantini Park about a year ago. She's a lovely little Jack Russell, you know, and we we're chatting away and I'd be thinking in the back of my head. Like, I wonder, does she remember what a little prick I was, you know? Yeah. And she says to me, halfway through the conversation, did I have you uh, for for anything? And you just realize, like, these teachers, we just pass through their lives, right? And they, and they might not remember us from year to year. But the impact they have on us is absolutely huge because we're still talking about them. Look at us. We're half an hour in here and we're still talking <laughs> about our teachers from school. And they do make a massive impression. And that's what I'd always say to teachers. You've absolutely no idea of the, you know, of what you're doing for kids. Like, you know, what with the, you know, you can fill their heads with dreams and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) You think the teachers um, look at your success, Paul, and fist pump? Uh, Jesus. No, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, none of the teachers I, none of the teachers I, um, uh, I was in, you know, I had in school are still there. Like when I go back to Lawrence's now, and the odd time I do, the teachers are like young enough to be my children. You know, they're, they're just so young. So it just feels like a totally different school now. Like, but but you know, people like uh, Paddy Pender, uh, who taught me English as well as Jerry Murta. I got on great with those teachers, you know, and did really well under them. So I don't know. I suppose maybe they I don't know if they I don't know if they kind of fist. I don't know how much I don't know how much effect teachers have in that way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know if any of them would have looked at me at school and said he's going to he's going to write books one day or he's going to be a sports writer or something like that. Like, you know, it's just I think we're all just they're just de- I think a lot of teaching is crowd control. Right. And we were a tough crowd. In Lawrence, I don't know what you were like. We were a fucking nightmare, you know. And <laughs> any teachers, any teachers who, you know, were were a little bit tough on us or whatever, I totally understand it now. Looking back, I've gone into classrooms as an adult and and done and done a bit of coach, you know, life <laughs> life coaching. No, I don't, like I've tra- talked to transition year kids and stuff like that. And Jesus Christ, like you know, it's the tough. I was shitting myself going in there and to do that every single day. And these are nice kids. We were a baying mob, right? That's what <laughs> we were. We were a baying mob. I remember student teachers coming in and leaving 
two days late in tears, deciding <laughs> to take a career break two days into their, their teaching career, you know. And it was, you know, it was tough. And I think kids were different then. We we were definitely bold. I think kids are nicer now. I think kids are, you, you know, when I when I go to schools now and I I see, say, say if I go to, you know, like me and Gordon Darcy were doing the kids books, you know, so we're doing, we, we go around some of the schools and, you know, to hear kids, they talk to teachers like they're their equals, like they're their mates or something. Even young kids, like, you know, they chat to the teachers. We were just these kind of silent kids who just kind of talked behind their hands and sneered. And if anyone came in and tried to do and special for us, we just destroyed them. Like, you know, so, <laughs> so given all that, I think what they were doing in Lawrence's, all of them was just miraculous. <laughs> you know? Gary, what are the what are the Mackle children like with school? Do they take after you, or do they take after your your lovely wife? No, they're taking after their mammy, thank God. Um, their their yeah, their grades and stuff are always really good. The teachers always like them. Um, they're taking after Gemma, thank God. Uh, but like. I wouldn't be surprised if when Charlie Mackle hits kind of 14, 15, if there's a bit of sneering and tittering out of them and uh, a bit of skullduggery. But uh, no, they, they take after their mammy, thank God. Good stuff, good stuff. Any any advice you'd like to, uh, you know, bestow upon, yeah, bestow upon those children, haven't you lived through the mayhem you like your of kids, yours? Gary. Fucking hell, Graham. No, no. <laughs> Uh, now, like uh, with, with lockdown, there was a lot of homeschooling and stuff, which can be tough because, like Charlie's Charlie's five, so he'd be doing his handwriting, and he might be doing say small G's, and he might have to do ten of them, and he'll do the first nine fucking perfect, and then the last one looks like a fucking W, and they're going, what the fuck is your problem here? You've done nine of them, and then you do this shit. And then oh, you, you just have, and you had that every day during lockdown, you know. Um, what would you do, Kerry? I just go out the back for a few minutes or something. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ella's, uh, just because Ella's, of a letter. Pardon? Just because of a letter. Yeah, I, I hate lapses of concentration in people. It doesn't matter what age are. Ella got uh, part of her homework one of the days during lockdown was to write uh, a brief essay on Leo Varadkar. Oh, Jesus. So she was excused from that uh, exercise. By who? They, I, just, I just said, sure, draw a picture of a snake and we'll send that to a teacher. But no, I tell you, I, teachers, I, I hold them in much higher regard now. Uh, you know, having sat through homeschooling for three months, um, Jesus wept. I don't know how they do it day in, day out. And then, you know, I think we underappreciate them. We used to, remember for years, ah, oh, three months holidays every year, shut the fuck up, get on with it. But I tell you, they work hard, they, they earn their money. Let, let them on. So you won't be looking forward to the next lockdown, Gar? Well, if, 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 uh, if, Patrick Power Limited uh, keep paying full pay and bring a lockdown on. 
Uh, but, uh, Jesus, I think the last thing the country needs is another full lockdown, you know, from many points of view, like for people's mental health and for the economy to function. You know, this virus isn't going anywhere. We're going to have to kind of learn to live with it uh, whilst being careful, washing our hands and wearing a mask and whatever. A bit, a bit like herpes. Exactly. Good thing about herpes is you can only get it once. Um, that's that's not scientifically proven, but now we don't need. We, I I hope to God we don't go to another lockdown. Uh, it, it's just fucking tough on everybody, you know. Mm. Particularly, uh, I mean, if, I think there's too much emphasis on on the schools being kept open. You know, there's it's no surprise that since the start of September, September the, the numbers have shot up. It's, it's fucking schools gone back. And Mero, do, do you do you, do you think that uh, it's having an effect on the online dating industry? <laughs> no comment. I'd say Tinder's a wasteland, is it? <laughs> Not for Mero. Well, you were saying that there's no present and no future. Yeah. What did yourself and the lovely Mary like? How did you find lockdown, or was it a, was a were you affected at all, or? Ah, uh, yeah, very, very adversely affected, you know. Uh, yeah. We played a lot of badminton um, <laughs> at the beginning, like, you know. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Mary says we play a bit of badminton just at lunch times, you know. So, anyway, we went out the back garden every day, April and May, uh, when the when the weather was nice, we we're playing a lot of badminton. But Mary had a few moves, which she never told me about. Like, you know, she had a few shots in her locker, and I was... Like, I, I'm like every Irish person, right? Uh, I have badminton on my CV under hobbies, but I haven't played it since I was 11, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Fuck it, hobbies, badminton. Anyway, so I'm whacking the, I'm whacking at the shuttlecock, right? Because I've all the terms and everything, you know, the racket and the shuttlecock and everything, right? And we're whacking it back and forth over the picnic bench. And the next thing, Mary's playing these backhanders like you know <laughs> he said where'd you learn that and she said oh i played a bit in cabantini when i was 13 or something like same time as i was i played when i was 13 as well but she was like the manchurian candidate like she had <laughs> was like it was triggers like when something had happened this move would come from nowhere boom so she started trash talking me then like you know because um <laughs> I'd be friends with Sheila Flanagan, the author, and she played badminton for Ireland, right? So I was telling <laughs> Sheila on Twitter I'm playing a bit of badminton. So she's giving me a few tips. So she's coaching me, like, you know. So anyway, so I start I start bringing a few moves in there. Mary said, where'd you learn that? I said, I was chatting to Sheila Flanagan. So Mary had just, like, slammed me out of it, like, from nowhere. She just produced this move, and then she'd say, go, go in and tell Sheila Flanagan about that. <laughs> <laughs> really nasty and i knew it was starting to affect me when one day i put the heating on and i put mary's badminton racket on the on the radiator <laughs> to try to warp it and i really did do that and it wasn't even as a joke i really was trying to affect her game without her <laughs> without her realizing you know but then it's leaked into this like this because we were we we've been in a vocal lockdown since the 12th of march so we're here all the time right just all the time and mary has an office upstairs and i have the office downstairs and i'm listening to her uh doing her skype call zoom calls at work like so i know all her colleagues like i'd be saying to her oh, she's in great form today <laughs> so i'm like her work colleague but then our language our work language is starting to leak into our our uh 
our private lives, right? So Mary said to me about three weeks ago, she says, uh, subject to capacity and availability, could you do the dinner tonight? Jesus. <laughs> and what did so, you say, Mike? I, I, I don't know, because I don't, I don't speak that management jargon, you know? <laughs> but it was... Uh, that's when I knew, like, you know, this is this is starting to affect us all, you know. It's <laughs> and I finished Netflix, right? I finished Netflix. <laughs> nothing left on that. Watched all of that. And uh like there's nothing, like it's just there's no films in this. Like this thing has taken away all of the stuff that's good in life, right? The cinema, the theater, movies on like nobody's made a film since a year ago, right? So there's nothing new, no new releases, right? Can't go out for dinner. Uh, can't go to the pub, can't see our friends. You can't go abroad on holidays. Uh, there's going to be no Christmas. Santa has COVID. Like all this, anything that's anything that's good about life uh, has been taken from us, and you still have work, right? <laughs> like you know what I mean. That's unaffected, right? That's un totally unaffected. Up at five in the morning, work your arse off, finish at six or seven in the evening. Uh, that's going nowhere, right? But all of the stuff that made life worthwhile, the grouting in between, all the little bits of pleasure that, uh, you know, that kept you sane, uh, they took that from us. You know? So I'm very positive about the future, as you can hear. You know, I, I, <laughs> I'm, uh, there's, there's two things I'd, I'd say there, though. In terms of, I don't know if any of you have seen it. The, there's, there was a movie that came out, I think it was at the start of lockdown, called The King of Staten Island. It's well worth a watch if you haven't seen it. And then the other thing I'd say, and Paul, you'll probably be looking forward to this as well. There is a new Bruce Springsteen album coming. Yeah, that's, the, that's essentially it. Like, Liverpool. Yeah, I'm hoping that'll get me through. You know? And the Bruce Springsteen album. That's that's 2020. Like, you know, nothing, nothing else good came this year. But the Bruce album, counting the days, like, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think he's been, I've waited too long for this though. I, I kind of thought like he was out after September 11, he was out with the rising within a year after Bush. Uh, he was out with devils and dust within a year. And he's taken four years like, and, and I, he really needs to fucking rinse Trump on this album. Like, you know, and sure Trump will be gone by then anyway. So maybe you reckon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the, the more I look at it, the more I just think, like, he does have lunatics supporting him, and there's a lot of lunatics, but I just, I don't know, I just feel as though enough Americans have gone, all right, all right, look, look, we got it wrong. Well, Danny, just... you, you, you had said at the last election that he, you had felt he was going to win. I, and I don't I know whether you on. thought that as a cynical or whatever, but you thought he was going to win. So you actually think he's not going to win, and you're obsessed with American presidential yeah, no, I, I, I put money on him last time i was that convinced of it i fucking i think he was about four or five weeks before the election i think you'd still get him as high as four or five to one and i put money on it because i was like he, he has it like everything that time around right if, if you look at it it's like what paul was saying about that work speak creeping into normal life trump is brilliant at these like catchphrases you know so he had build the wall he had uh crooked hillary lock, lock her up, up. Yeah, all, all these, and they were sticking. They were everywhere. You know, this time around, he has Sleepy Joe. That's it. He's gone quiet. Make America Great Again isn't quite as bouncy as it once was. Keep America Great just doesn't have the same tone to it. He doesn't have the emails to fucking keep banging on about and all that. He, he's, he was hoping the COVID thing 
in some way would give him a bounce. I don't think it will. I, yeah, I think Biden will wipe the floor with him. I really somebody, do. Somebody said to me this morning that he declassified some uh, files or something like that about from, Hillary. From, from that months ago. From the, the Russia election. Now, we sent out a, thing to, a tweet this morning calling for the uh, complete unredacted files from the biggest hoax and uh, witch hunt in American history, the, the Russian investigation. And the Democrats are like, yeah, they actually do. Release the under, un, unredacted version. We'd love to see them as well. Like, But I, I can't see him. Fuck, I just can't. I, like, there's, there's plenty of lunatics over there, but I just don't think he has. I think the anyone who was a fence-sitter the first time out and thought, you know what, we need a change. He's going to be different. He will drain the swamp. All that was going to him. Just... He hasn't got that bounce this time around. Paul, so. why do you think we are a bit t- too infatuated with America? <sighs> We're living in the era of the American Empire, you know. Yep. Um, you know, lots of lots of there've been lots of empires through history. You know, Napoleon had his empire, and Hitler had his empire. The Brits had their empire, and we're living since the Second World War. We're living in an era of the American Empire. Um. You know they're not they're not here militarily, but they are here culturally. Um, you know, Jesus, Irish kids now grow up speaking with American accents. You know, from from all the television they watch. Um, I think uh, you know artistically, you know, the movies they produce, the music they produce. Um, it's our language, you know, it's our language, and. Um, Will you stay up the sure. night of the the, the, the election? Uh, no. No. <laughs> no, no. I'd stay up for the Eurovision. I wouldn't stay up for that. Danny, <laughs> are you staying up for the election? I, I am. With the week off work that week anyway, so I said I would. So I'm staying up for the NBA and I'm staying up for the election. That's where I'm at. And are I'll you always. Interested? Uh, yeah, slightly. Uh, Danny was saying like about Trump being four or five to one. I'm backing him. I, I remember him being as big as eight to one actually. And I was looking uh, the other morning in work at you know where the market moves are in in the American election and money's coming for Trump all the time. Actually, uh, I think he's even money now. He was 130 about two weeks ago. Mm. So it's a big enough move uh, in a novelty market as such, you know. So I, think, is, I mean, it, like we're sensible people, right? The, the four of us, right? And so we we know Trump should lose the election, but the only way he'll win is if he fixes something. And none of us would put that beyond him either. Like you know, yeah. there might there might well be some kind of fix coming in. But I I agree with Danny. I I think in those swing states, what is it, ten or eleven states are going to decide mm-hmm. it. I think they've decided the last election, we had it here in Ireland as well. There was a move against politicians. You know, we had to, let's not forget, we had a reality TV star who was streets ahead in the presidential election here um, uh, before Michael Michael D won it until he was basically taken down by RTE, you know. Um, and there was a move, I think. Rachel McHugh played her part in that as well, though, didn't she? Uh, that's right, Jess. She was... We should, she, she tore him. She tore Peter Casey apart. And oh, sorry, that wasn't the president. Yeah, and um, the previous election. Um, 
Wait, did my, Michael D, the first one, Michael D won, you know? And Colin Gallagher, sorry, apologies. I thought I was getting mixed up with Peter Casey there. Yeah, Gallagher. And and he was street dead. But I think I think there's been this move against politicians. I think people are sick of politicians, you know? And I think a lot of the Sinn Féin vote in the last election was also people are sick of the same faces, uh, the same old career politicians they've been seeing for a long time. And uh, I think that's what happened with Trump. But when you have it, when you have uh, in, in times of crisis, you actually want somebody in charge who looks like they know what they're doing. And I think, I think Americans are going to reach for the security in those swing states. He, like he is a cult, like he, he's a cult leader in a lot of those other states. And there are people are all people who vote for him are always going to vote for him. But I think the moderates who went with him last time, and remember Hillary was Hillary was a very very unpopular candidate. Um, lots of people including women wouldn't vote for Hillary because they didn't see her as this feminist icon that she was pretending to be. Um, I, I think this time Americans will say, you know, we need, we need an adult in charge. Yeah, yeah. That's what I think. I don't yeah. think, think moderates will go with Trump this time. And I think he'll get, I think he's going to get slaughtered. I do as well. I, I can't see it. Like the, the American system is weird anyway, in terms of the whole electoral college and all that kind of thing. But I, I don't think he'll get anywhere near the 200 uh, electoral college votes. I think there's a good chance Biden might tip into the 380, 400 category and fucking wipe the floor with him. Just, and is there a chance that Trump won't, uh, like, concede? Well, this is the whole thing, because he's been calling that out, hasn't he, about the whole mail-in vote fraud yeah. and all this, and he's been shaping up more or less to to kind of do that. And he, he's more or less said it, that he'll challenge it to the Supreme Court if need be. And only then, if the Supreme Court ruled that the result is fair and valid, will he consider backing down kind of thing. But that's not, Trump's not a fighter. Like, look at every battle the man's ever had in his life. He's either run and hid, or he's he, he's got help from somebody to get him through. Like, he, he ducked out of the army with, was it chin splints or whatever the fuck it was, made up something. Born, didn't he? Nonsense. Yeah, you know, um, like, he's not, he's more inclined, if he loses the election, he's more inclined, I would say, to just go, you don't deserve me anymore. And leave the White House in some sort of, you know, fuck you. You don't you, you don't get me anymore. You don't you don't deserve to, to have me. Danny, that's the thing. Like the, you know, I've heard a lot of commentators say this that the only thing that's actually stopped him walking away before mm. now is that he has a sense that they they're going to go after him. Well, like, yeah, and that's out uh, of I, they're going to. I after. think they are, and his, his taxes that that tax stuff is going to grow more legs and it's going to keep running at him because even the um earlier on today i seen that the they've ruled that the new york district can get their hands on the stuff again and he's going to have to go back to the supreme court and, and, and appeal again he's in very very hot water regardless and i think the only way he can avoid that is by being president for another four years and all that does is just buy him more time and the injury's going to try to create a dictatorship like putin so so from from one fraud to another, champagne football, lads. <laughs> Beautiful segue, Graham. <laughs> Gary, have you read it? Yeah, I've read the guts of it. Like, you know, there was one or two. You know, you, if you're reading a book and you're tired, you, you kind of skate through to yeah. a different paragraph. Yeah. But it, it's a fascinating read. The detail in it is absolutely fascinating. Uh, kudos to Mark Ty and the other chap. I can't think of his name. Is it Paul Townsend? Paul Rowan. Paul Rowan. Rowan. Um, I, I just find myself every 15 minutes going, where the fuck are the auditors here? Yeah. 
like it's in black and white lads what were Delaware doing what were they doing like my 10 year old be able to tell you to, to fucking this is wrong like uh, and, and I've heard stories about them in, in plucks and kill mechanic as well they carry on of them um, which I know we can't get into but like of course we can he's not going to sue us uh, you know using the, the FAI credit card to withdraw cash to go on the piss like it's completely non-ethical and it's white collar crime at its finest um, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see where it goes uh, because I believe that like it's with the fraud squad and you know they have to be very interested in getting them back to, to this island and, and throwing the book at them and it, you know cronyism in this country is fucking rife has been for all our lifetimes but I'd love to see the fucker be, be hung out to dry and have you be made an example of have you read it yet, Paul? Have you got it? Have you got it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I read it. Yeah, I read what, it. What did you take? Oh, absolutely brilliant. I mean, I loved, like Gary said, the, the detail, but also I loved the gossipy way a lot of it was written about as well. Like you know, it was kind of it was just a great rattling read. You didn't get too bogged down in the in the um, in the in the financial stuff, you know. But it was all there. Um, I said it on Twitter, like, you know, that we in this country, we have a fatal attraction to the gas man altogether. And Delaney was a gas man altogether. And he got away with so much shit because he's in the pubs in Poland during the Euros that time. And he's buying pints for everybody in the pub. People thought he was spending his money. You know, he wasn't fucking spending his <laughs> money at all. No wonder he was so generous with it. Um doesn't seem to have i don't know how he spent his wages like the fai seemed to be paying every expense he had in life like you know um i don't know there's this there's this nonsense that's talked in the corporate world like you see like a salary being offered like 400 grand like for running the fai or whatever you know and then their defense of it is oh if you want if you want the best people, you have to pay the top salaries. But isn't it amazing that they never, ever get the best people? They always get <laughs> useless people, like either either like thieves or useless people they always end up. And Delaney is, um, I mean, it, it, like it's hard to think of another company in the world that would have paid Delaney that salary, you know? And I've heard stories about him at... At, you know, senior council meetings, like when people would ask him about his salary, he would get really defensive and he would start talking about how he had to pay money to his ex-wife and to his kids and all the rest. And you kind of think, in what other work walk life is the salary of the chief executive determined by how much money he needs instead of what the job involves or what, yeah. what is the is the is the pay commensurate with 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 the work he's doing and with the money he's bringing in? Yeah, this. In his case, it clearly wasn't because the, the the association was broke and he was lending the money to keep going. I mean, Jesus, like that's it's just breathtaking stuff. Where do you see it going, Paul? Um, I think th personally, I think I think he'd be charged, and I think I think the full rigors of the law uh, will be applied to him, as as is always the case with somebody who didn't play rugby. Or go to, a <laughs> you know, like, you know, like I'm afraid, you know, there's that old saying that the only 
the only people who ever go to jail are the people who didn't know the right people. And, you know, I, I kind of think in his case, he doesn't, maybe he doesn't know the right people. Like, you know, you know, you know, when you hear, when you, when you hear a court, about a court case and there's always this bit at the end uh, where the barrister says after, you know, when they're doing the sentence and the barrister says, uh, I'd ask you to take into account that he comes from a very good family. Like that always <laughs> means he's middle class, right? That's basically, that's the, that's the appeal. Like where to but the, the, the well-heeled barrister to the well-heeled judge, he's saying he's one of us, like, you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't, but I don't know with Delaney, like, you know, I, I just, um, I, I'm, I'm sure the full rigors of the law will be applied to him. Um, but I mean, I, I, I would just love to see some kind of justice in a way. Reading that book, like it, it was, it was the story of a man's midlife crisis, really. Like, but that's what it was. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. when you read sort of between the lines of the balance sheet, you just think this man is in his fifties, like you know, and he's living like he's, you know, like he he knows he should have done when he was like twenty four or something. But see, John went and became an accountant, and I kind of think. See, me and Gary, right? I don't know about you, lads, but we, we lived our wild years, right? right? <laughs> uh, I, I, like, I, you know, I, I definitely lived in my 20s, right? But I'm sure if I went off to become a chartered accountant, I wouldn't have. And I think <laughs> I don't need a midlife crisis now. And I won't be asking the Irish taxpayer to pay for my midlife crisis. Yeah. But Delaney... That's what I think happened to him. I think he, I think he just realised. I think he got into his fifties and he went, or in his four, late forties, and he just thought, Jesus Christ, I wasted my life becoming a chartered accountant. On on his way up the ladder, Paul, like you would have been in the press box. Mm. Would what was the like? What was you and your colleagues from all different publications? What was the consensus about him or did what was there a consensus about him was he yeah when i when i left journalism he wasn't the head of the fai so i knew him i knew him early on around 2000 2000 2001 2002 those years when he was kind of the young buck who come into the fai he was asking tough questions at senior council meetings he was very critical of bernard o'burn and the whole aircon park thing um he didn't see why uh, the FAI should be pursuing a stadium project when Bertie was prepared to build them a free stadium, literally a mile away, you know. Um, and because he cultivated the media. Oh, the other thing was, uh, so he talked sense on that. And then he and then Roy Keane, you know, when when he kind of took over the Roy Keane, the FAI's uh, uh, Roy Keane handling, because. Brendan Menton, who was the head of the FAI at the time, was useless, like worse than useless and was totally taken aback by this, this crisis, which he should have seen coming. Like he should have seen coming that the, the manager and the, and the coach hate each other. It's probably not a good idea to put them on an island in the middle of the Pacific for a week before the World Cup, you know. <laughs> but they didn't anticipate any of this, you know, and. And when it when it broke, Brendan Menton, poor Brendan, was just totally bewildered, didn't know what to do. And then this young guy, John Delaney, with his with his Oscar Wilde hair, he's on prime time and he's talking sense and he's he's talking like a politician, you know, and he was very impressive and he cultivated the media. And at a time when when you're a journalist, like you're always looking to talk to uh people who give you inside stories right and the people the only people who give you inside stories are disgruntled people 
So when you're a journalist, you tend, the, the people who are in power never talk to you, right? They just give you official statements and an official line. And if you want to get stories, you actually, you, you, you ingratiate yourself with disgruntled people. But then those disgruntled people are using you to get into a position of power. So then they're in that power. And then you've got to find other disgruntled people to tell you that they're shit. And that's how journalism works. Like, you know, it's how political <laughs> journalism works. It's how business journalism works. So I was there when Delaney was still a very charming guy to the media before the era when he was sending out solicitor's letters like, you know, with his, with his cereal in the morning. Um, uh, but he was very impressive. But I would always add the caveat that like some of the most unimpressive people I've ever met in my professional life have been members of the FAI. Like they are <laughs> their shadow of a doubt. Like Declan Lynch, uh, uh, is a pal of mine. It's this great line about you know he says you know in in the world uh, of fucked up administrators they refer to the FAI as the Galacticos. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, oh, you were uh, oh sorry, go, Danny. No, no, go on, Mary, go on. We, we can loop no, back. No, I was going to I was going to change the subject. As was I. Oh, I was going to say Gary there seems to have been writing a few notes so. I want to hand it over to him for any other business. If I'm the chairperson of a meeting here, it'll be, Gary, have you got any other business there? Well, I wasn't actually uh, writing that down. The shopping list is here beside me, and I'm just uh, scrubbing <laughs> off things. Because uh, Gemma has Gemma has that was on the list, but there's a full fucking bag in the press. So that's I just scribbled them out. Gary, that's, that's nice handwriting. That's Gemma's. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, and Long taught penmanship very well. That's one thing Jerry Murta put a great premium on uh, on on penmanship. I don't know if he was still uh, doing that when you guys were there. I yeah, never, he was. I never had Jerry. Uh, I had him. Penmanship. It, it was big into it, like neat handwriting. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't correct your homework if it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. <that's true. laughs> what were you saying there, Gary? Uh, any other business? Yeah, well, the the football is back, as we know. Um, <clears throat> you can see Paul smirking behind his, his hand there. Oh, do we, really, do we really want to get into this, Gar? Do we? I haven't I, watched the Liverpool Villa match yet, so don't tell me. <laughs> I'm thinking of watching it tomorrow. I just, just don't tell me even if there's any goals in it. <laughs> I just feel better if I get this off my chest. So obviously, Southampton. <laughs> Solskjaer will be gone in the next kind of seven to eight weeks. As we all know, we can smell it coming. Um, the Yanks haven't backed them. And you can see the trends in the spending. So whenever they qualify for the Champions League, they don't actually spend in that summer. But when we finish seventh now this season, they'll probably spend £150 million next year. Um, it's, was I borrowing him there or something? Um, <laughs> oh, you don't Christy more. <laughs> Oh, look, it's just a, it's just an absolute shit show, that club. And it's been ran into the ground. But m my tangent is, how on earth, who signed off on that deal for the Glazers to buy the club, to, to, buy, it off, uh, to, to buy it off the strength of what the club is worth and then take out over a billion, uh, 1.4 billion in 19 years? I mean, who signs off on this stuff? It's an absolute shit show. And I know Paul's happy about all this, but I mean, 
we're looking at this club being ran into the ground. Stadium's falling apart. It gives me no pleasure, Gary, whatsoever. Like to see it, you know. But I, I think, see, like United are where Liverpool are now. You've been through the cycle, right? And you're young enough to have only known success, right? And I was the same when I was following Liverpool growing up in the seventies, and then, like nineteen ninety one, like we were signing Mark Walters and fucking <laughs> like Paul Stewart, like Paul Stewart, right? And I was going, what the fuck is this? And my dad said to me, it's over. You don't understand, it's over. And it would have been my sa- the same for my dad as a Spurs fan. Spurs had their era, you know. But you're right. United, it is a shit show. And, like, they put the fella uh, in charge of the gift shop in charge of cha- transfers. Like, that's uh, mm-hmm. a bad business there. But the thing I don't like with United, this is why I can't believe Ferguson uh, has any input there it's it's hard to understand ferguson never bought bad lads right ferguson like like ferguson never brought anyone like pogba into the club for instance you know like he you know he never he never brought a player who was clearly trouble like pogba i think he got rid of pogba didn't he yeah he allowed him to leave on a free and 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 he, I don't think he'd have brought him back. Like he never brought somebody like Sanchez into it. I mean, what the fuck was that about? Like Alexis Sanchez, he wants to leave on the day he arrives. Like you know, so so Ferguson, <laughs> so Ferguson, and Wenger, and Klopp, and I think Mikel Arteta are they're the kind of managers who are just they don't want troubled people in the club, right? You look at the way Klopp got rid of Sacco. Like you know, it was just. Don't want somebody like you in this club. And he's out the door the second he caused any trouble. But I look at United buying the same, making the same mistake. Like Cavani now. Like, what is that about? Why didn't they just use the money? Why didn't they just use the money that they're going to give Cavani over the next 12 months in wages and add it to what they were offering for Sancho and get Sancho in? Mm. It doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense to me. They don't need... You know, one of the things United have going have going for them, I think, is that front three. You know, and they're they're actually really shape. They've made a mess of the defense. I don't know what's going on with Harry Maguire. I mean, I saw that footage of him to, um, arguing with Michael that with, with Marcus Rashford that the referee got the decision right. To, to yeah, it's say, yeah, it's remarkable. Marshall, Marshall off, and not um, Lamella and. Mm-hmm. And your your captain is actually siding with the referee and telling Rashford, no, no, he's. I mean, that's a very strange mentality. I was trying to think yeah. of what Keane would be saying to the ref, yeah. screaming hot spittle in his face, probably. You know, COVID. I think, at the start of that game, I looked at Maguire coming out of the tunnel, and I genuinely said to myself, he looks troubled. Yeah, yeah. As if he's after seeing a ghost. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he, he performed like he held the shit in for ninety minutes. He was absolutely shocked. <laughs> unlike Kieran, or, or unlike uh, Eric Dyer. Yeah. Yeah, didn't you <laughs> didn't hold oh, yeah. for nineteen minutes? Um, yeah, but I mean, is not he's not captain material for a club of no, you know he, the stature of a United or a Liverpool or a he's he's not up to it. No, no, but he's it's just totally frightened. And it's interesting what Gary said there about you looked at his face. I I saw I thought the same thing. I thought he looked full of fear or something. You know? Yeah, well, now I know he has in in Greece hanging over him. But I mean, yeah. he, you know, he'd have the best legal representation. He he knows what's going to happen before the Greeks do, really. Um, yeah. 
but it's just it's just a fucking kip. Um, like I mean, the Cavani signing, like his brother is his agent, and it was nine million pounds in agents' fees to get to Manchester. The um, agent fees are going crazy, aren't they? That's crazy. I play, I I play football manager lads, right? Religiously, I love it. I'm mad into it. And You're not putting yourself forward to replace Ollie, are you? <laughs> I was, I was going to say, I, I gave myself a test in the summer of just two weeks to see what I could do with United, and I won the league. So to be honest, I don't know what his problem is, right? <laughs> but Cavani, any time I've ever signed him, he's torn to dressing room against me and got me sacked. <laughs> so I have no time for him. And I, like, I mean, I at one point, I, I, I was playing with MK Dons. Cavani had torn. Actually, it was probably around this. It was, it was playing it about three years ago. I got MK Dons into the Premier League, and and I made a board request for extra transfer funds. I was trying to break the bank because I was like, if I can get Cavani, marquee signing, the fans will love it, and he'll bang the goals in. I'll be a god. They'll name the stadium after me. That's what I was going for. <laughs> he was in there two weeks. And he got sent off, so I disciplined him. I fined him a week's wages for getting sent off. And from there on out, that was it. He was nothing but problems. Speaking to the media behind me back, giving me guff at training. Then he didn't turn up to training. Then all the other players started to say how much they respected Cavani. And I was like, I can't have this. I have to make an example of him. So I put him in the the reserves. So that's it. After the reserves at you for a couple of weeks. I was sacked within a month. Yeah, you see, you can't do that anymore because players are assets and managers aren't, you know? Like, when Sarri tried to sub off Kepa that time, the keeper, and the keeper just went, nah. That was was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in football. Well, he's a kid. Kepa's very young at the time. But, you know, the club are obviously thinking, well, we spent 70 million on him. We're about to sack the manager. So, you know, fuck Sarri. But but the, the the thing that really got me about that was none of the Chelsea players went up to Kepa. Except David Luiz was the only one who said you probably should go off. But he didn't really put it very forcefully. And Aspilicueta turned his back and, and started fucking, you know, trying to pick out his family in the crowd or something. Just pretending <laughs> it wasn't happening. <clears throat> and it went down for about five or six minutes. Yeah. And, it, it, and he said to Aspilicueta afterwards, what, what was your take on it? And he said, oh, I didn't see what happened. Like, there's your captain. Yeah. Imagine Roy Keane. Yeah. Keane would have... Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Keane's, Keane would have had to be dug out of him, like, with JCP. What do you think of Keane in the club spot? Well, listen, it, it was great fun, but Keane was, you know, the history will, will judge Keane a lot kinder than it will Klopp because, you know, he says sloppiness at the start of the week and four days later they concede seven goals. But I think there's something mad going on at the moment. Because we're in totally, we're in new territory. We've got matches with no atmosphere. Uh, I didn't realise how silent those stadiums were until I actually saw that footage, the pitch side footage of the the incident with, with Rashford and Maguire. I didn't realise just how silent it was because I watch it with the fake cheering, you know. And th- there's no doubt that having no crowd on the, on the team's back is affecting players. Everybody's sloppy you know um, and I think that's why we're getting these ridiculous results there's no way we're going to be having like 97 98 point 99 point seasons now you know this is this is going to be one with 30 points or something <laughs> this league you know it's, and Everton being the winners nah Everton will fall away as soon as Everton have to do someone a favour they fall apart typical Everton you know 
As soon as it looks like Everton could do Liverpool a favour, they'll start losing matches. <laughs> but the other we, team, we, we, we watch the match them. tomorrow. Would you have any interest in that now? The the Euros. Yeah, yeah. Really? I I yeah, no. I, I don't. I can't. I just can't. Trapatoni, Trapatoni killed international football for me. Killed yeah, me too. Yeah, I tried. I tried to watch the first two Stephen Kenny games, and I get the whole thing of he has to build and he has to be given a chance to instill his philosophy and all this kind of. But like, Jesus, were, I spent more time looking on my phone and reading Twitter than I did watching the match, and I always take that as a bad sign when I when I'm trying to watch football. Plus, what do we have to do to get knocked out of the European Championship? Well, sir? that's your that's why. Yeah, <laughs> like I think we beat Gibraltar and drew. Or lost every other match in that group, and we somehow found our way into a playoff. Right? Mm. We're now we're now four months after the European Championships should have been held, and we're fucking still in it. Right? You know, it's <laughs> it's like the, it's easier to get out of the Church of Scientology than it is out of the European <laughs> Championships. I swear to God, like you know, we, oh, when did you fall out? Years and we still won't be out of that tournament. When did you fall out of love with international football? Because you covered it. I did, yeah. And look, as a kid. As a kid, I was hanging around. Like, I went to every single match at Lansdowne Road, Daily Mount Park, hanging around afterwards, looking for the autographs of the players and everything, like, you know. And um, I think it was just 15 years of really, really bad football. Um, like, after after I stopped uh, writing about football, I bought t- a ticket, I bought a ticket, like, you know, to, to sit and watch it as a fan. And me and Mousy used to go to all the matches. And... Um, and 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 we just realised like we we were to, the football was terrible. First it was Steve Staunton, the Steve oh, Staunton geez, era, was, yeah. right? And then we the Trapattoni era, and then the Martin O'Neill era, and and then you add it up and you think it's fifteen years, maybe eighteen years of almost exclusively shit football. Like really, it's anti-football. It's not even football to me. And. And that put me off it. I just realised I wasn't watching. I wasn't enjoying the matches. And these pretendy matches, the Nations Cup or whatever we're calling it, like, you know, these friendly... Ah, lads, come on, you know? You just don't like international football, do you, Paul? No, I'm I'm with Paul on this Nations Cup thing because essentially they've tried to take the rugby test match system and give it some sort of merit Mm. in football. That's what it seems like to me, at least, that they've turned this bunch of friendlies into something meaningful or attempted to make it into something meaningful well that's the reason why we're the nice the last performance in the nations league i think is the reason why we're still in the playoff and we did martin o'neill got us this playoff as well didn't we martin o'neill got us to this playoff but but meryl let me ask you what did we actually what what results did we get in that nations league I don't. I, can't, I, think, I, don't I can't remember. Eight times and <laughs> Denmark beat us again. We also always seem to be playing Denmark and Wales. That's the other thing that's killed. Yeah. The, national the thing is, is that like when McCarthy was given the job, and then when McCarthy uh, stopped with the job, the whole thing was Martin O'Neill got us to the Euros with the performance or with the standings in the Nas- uh, the Nations League, and now Stephen Kenny is is trying to get us to the actual tournament. So what was Mick McCarthy there for? I, I honestly think we'll have to go to the Court of Arbitration for sports to get out of this tournament. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to take a case to Europe to say, and we don't deserve to be at these finals. They keep fucking sucking us back in again. You're not out yet. There's a playoff. They've even had the draw. Everybody knows who they're playing. And there's still an X where Ireland are going to go. But we just, we just won't, we just won't 
play ball and qualify for the thing. There's an interesting parallel here between uh, the success and decentness of Irish football and Ireland at Eurovision. We've been mucks since the late 90s in both. Yes. You know, and, and Steve Staunton and Dustin, I think, were around about the same time. <laughs> the gaffer. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I just think there's something in this, lads. I think if we win the Eurovision, our luck will turn around. Uh, rock and roll kids. We never had a song uh, better than rock and roll kids. As far that as is true, know. yeah. Of, of all our winners. For me, yeah. that's the greatest Eurovision song of all time, you know. Um, Diggy Do, Diggy Lay wasn't bad now, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hum that one again. <laughs> Sweden won that in 1984 lads just putting that out there there you go yeah I always like Neve Kavanagh in your eyes in your eyes I like the voice as well oh the voice yeah I I I tried to chat her up uh, at a Blur concert um, (laughs) the RTS four days after her Eurovision win like you know I I saw her and I thought Jesus like now I overshot the runway <laughs> you know, but I sidled up to her and gave her, gave her a bit of, uh, you know, gave her a line or two, you know, and she just. Uh, no, did you did you try something similar with Donna and Joe? Who? With Donna and Joe. The fuck is Donna and Joe? <laughs> these these are niche Eurovision jokes that would slay into George lads. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> What were, the, what were the Lions, Paul? It wasn't the two Colombian Lions, was it? Uh, this is back in '96, like you know, when when uh, you know, I was a bit, I was a I was a thinner man, and uh, I I had slightly geekier glasses, and uh, everything seemed possible, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, have you any any other bar business? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I've a tip for anybody that has a Triton T90XR um, electric shower. Um, <laughs> Come so on. Our, ours is uh, 12 and a half years old, and for the last week, it sounded like one of the punters after Church Wall and Dunleary. It's just <laughs> screaming out of it. So uh, somebody in work said to me, all you need to do is... Turn the electric off at the cord, turn it off at the fuse box, screw out the front piece, and just dust it all out and hoover it. And I said to myself, something not right here. But anyway, I've done it. And the fucking thing is bingo. It's brand new. Wow. Yeah, delighted with myself. That's On a, on a slightly related topic, uh, Gary, because um, you might have to answer this, or this pal of yours, who sounds great. Mm. Uh, we bought a silent kettle a year ago, right? And it was unbelievable, right? To the point where I couldn't hear, I'd be in the office, I couldn't hear it in the kitchen if it was yeah. ready or not, right? But it only stayed silent for about three weeks. Now, I can hear it from the end of the road. <laughs> I, I, go down, I, I go down the village in Avoca to get the to get the chocolate hobnobs, right? And I know when the kettle's boiled because I can fucking hear it a mile away. It's what, un- brand, what brand is it, Paul? Uh, I, think, I think it's a new now, hang on a sec. I, I, do, will, you, will you bear with me a sec? I'll go check. Yeah, by the way. Yeah. Watch out, Humphrey. <laughs> Watch out, Humphrey. Hanging <laughs> it off. Humphrey thinks he's going to get biscuits or something now. He'll be snapping I'm when he's going to grab my kettle because ours is a silent one. Here it is, Gary. It's a Russell Hobbs. 
He oh. Gary Shaw's gone to check his now, Paul. All oh, right. Oh, that geez, that's a fine model, Gary. That's a yeah, lovely that's model. A... This this is mine, the Russell Hobbs. Now it could do with a clean, so I just wonder. Just show me the arse of it there, Paul. Oh yeah. Don't spill anything. Can they come come to your left? Oh yeah. Ah yeah, she's burnt out. Oh, is she? Yeah, the element's tired. The element, is it? Yeah. Look at that lad. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What is going on here? I went, out, I went out with a girl from Bray once, right? This is a Sorry kid. to hear that. I went out with this girl from Bray once, and she, anyway, we, we, I was in her kitchen, and uh, she'd be making tea all the time in the kitchen. We'd be drinking the tea. And do you know what she told me about, like, after about three months we were going out together? Her ma found a mouse, inside, a dead mouse inside the kettle, right? What? There was a, a dead mouse had got into the spout of the kettle somehow, right? And 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 they were filling the kettle through the spout, right? And fucking cut, making tea. So they're basically serving tea with a mouse boiled in it, and that was going oh. on months. Holy shit! That's one of the most upsetting things I've ever heard. Like, and I was drinking that. Nothing wrong with me, by the way. And it was never sick or anything. But there was a mouse boiling all the time in their kettle for three months. That's bravery in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, did you want to talk about some recipes? No, I went on a tangent about United and you fucked off over to your laptop or something for a minute. I went out to the dog, he was whimpering, he was after pissing in the kitchen. Oh, lovely. Uh, was, did you not have a recipe about rhubarb crumble? No, I, I oh, sorry, yeah, I, I made a rhubarb crumble at the weekend um, and I was making the crumble, which I used flour, sugar, butter, but I, I crushed some cornflakes into it. Oh. And uh, sprayed a bit of rapeseed oil on top. It was absolutely sensational. Sensational. Wow. And was, was that cooked in the air fryer? No, unfortunately not. Um, would, would rhubarb be in season at this time of year, Gary? Uh, look, I got a batch of it in, in Tesco's. You get that in, in Tesco's down in Arthur. They fucking everything. They have they have kale, and kale isn't in season. Yeah. I don't know where they get it from. But there's a gorgeous batch of rhubarb going around at the minute. It's, it's nearly a mahogany <laughs> type colour. It, it is. It's gorgeous. But it, look, it, you could even get a greenish rhubarb. It's how you, it's how you, you treat it and deal with it, you know? Yeah. Everything's in season all the time now. Like, you know, when we were kids... You'd only get strawberries for about two months of the year, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now they're the all red. Fertilizers are a game changer now. That's why we're all dying when we're fucking 60. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't argue with you there, Gar. I won't argue with you there. <laughs> Cornflakes are um, are a much under underrated and underutilized uh, food stuff, I think. Like, you know, because Gary, I was talking to you about there was a place in. Um, in Greystones called Poppies. I think it's called Somerville or something now. Over the bridge. Is a scary pop? Well, no, this one was in Greystones, the original so, Poppies. Yeah, oh, so, right. Summer, it, it's Somerville. I know it well, Summer. yeah. But she used to do, um, she used to do, uh, it was Poppies Chicken, it was called. It was just essentially a chicken casserole with cornflakes on top. Unbelievable, mm. like, you know. Really, yeah. like, like, see, we, brilliant. We, we've talked oh, so about you're saying this. cornflakes are underutilized? Yeah, you can do anything with them, like, you know. Like, I'd often have, you know, say, mid-morning, if I was a bit hungry, I'd do it. It's like, a, I call it wooden fire, right? 
So you just two Weetabix, put that's the wood, and then uh, the cornflakes on top is the fire, and then douse the milk on. It's great fun. Do you heat it up, Paul? <laughs> well, no, no, Gary, that'd be cold. Like, if just, you know, just keep it simple. Would you have sugar on it? Uh, or loads of sugar, yeah. Two two dessert spoons of sugar. Like a sugar sandwich, you need two two dessert spoons full. Yeah, that's, Lovely, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a fine, healthy dose of sugar on it now, that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've, we've talked about cornflakes a lot on this podcast. Gary, I think at one point we were referring to a, a bowl of cornflakes in the evening is one of life's great pleasures after yeah. your dinner. Instead of a dessert, a bowl of cornflakes. Yeah, or a jam sandwich. Jam sandwich, yeah. 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 But you see, I, I think we talked about this in the podcast as well, Paul. When you were saying cornflakes are very versatile and you can use them in almost anything, Yeah, it's weird because do, do you know the history of cornflakes? Um, you know, yeah, you told us on this before. Oh. No, Paul doesn't know it. This is fucking fascinating. John John Kellogg, the the, the man behind Kellogg's, invented cornflakes to essentially get rid of any want of horniness. They're they're meant to be for people who are celibate. They're meant to be so bland that they kill any sexual orgies. Jeez. that's yeah. <laughs> John, John <laughs> Kellogg was he, he was I can't I don't know what fucking sect of Christianity it is but it's not one where where you just there's nothing you just you, you don't even look at your partner you're married because They're you have to be or something are they something like fucking yeah but he ev- everything he did in life was basically to say don't don't even think about sex just eat cornflakes there and you won't have any desire in you Jesus so, so. it's anti anti aphrodisiac exactly yeah <laughs> This is all declassified. You can you can you can look this up and read it. This is fact. I was reading recently about the, the we went we went to Kerry and we went to the Blasket Islands and I was reading this book uh, about life on the Blasket Islands and the the priest used to say if, if the priest heard that it's a certain type of fish made a parishioner horny he would uh, they would ban it right and they were known as East in the lapin, right? The, <laughs> East in the lapin. The, the, I think it, it means like the fish of the bed, right? And like monkfish was reckoned to be an aphrodisiac. And mackerel at one point was reckoned to be an aphrodisiac. And they banned them. From, like the priest basically said to them, you can't be eating that because they're East in the lapin. They were all told you'll go to hell, you know? And uh, anyway, that was, that was kind of East in the lapin. Jesus. That's like mental, you know? isn't it? Yeah, so sure. so cornflakes are the opposite like they're mm. that's mad now i have to say i haven't um i'll have to watch out for that but i mean i can't say i have had thoughts in that direction immediately after eating them yeah yeah <laughs> wooden fire wooden fire in mid- midday giving you wood <laughs> john john kellogg wouldn't approve of that at all now wouldn't no. approve of that at all um Lads, I've I've enjoyed our chats as always. Um, but but I'm I'm conscious we all probably I don't know, Graham, have you had dinner yet? Usually when we record we don't have dinner, but we started late tonight. Yeah, we all have had dinner yet. You did have your dinner. I didn't, so I'm fucking lepping. I was I was eating uh, a kind of I was pecking out a bowl of crisps here uh, throughout the podcast. That, those crisps are rippled sour cream and onion. I didn't think they still existed, lads. They do, yeah, they're beautiful. They're great what on a you have for your dinner, Meryl. Pardon? What you have for your dinner? And lamb. We'd lamb as well, Meryl. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah, we'd a couple of hatchets, the lamb hatchets that you get in Duns. Stunning. Beautiful, yeah, yeah. Love lamb. Yeah. yeah. What do you have, Gary? 
Uh, I done a Ruby Murray. I, I cooked it yesterday and set it, it overnight. It was lovely. Really. That's, that's a horrible that's, thing to that, do to leave it overnight. No, it's after, that's the only way. When you're making a curry, that's the only, only you do that do. with stew. You don't do that with yeah. chicken curries. No, yeah, do it, with, do it with any saucy dish. Leave it sitting yeah. over. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Ainsley Harriet. It's always nicer the second day, isn't it? It is. 100%. Yeah. 100%. yeah. Well, Gary, what are you going to have now, Danny, at this hour? I, I, I wouldn't at this hour. I might have a bowl of cornflakes after that chat now. <laughs> 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 warm or ice cold milk uh, I'm not fond of warm milk in general on, on any sort of like obviously in a, in a coffee or something you're getting a latte or whatever but like I wouldn't I'd never heat me milk up for Weedabix or cornflakes never right. so yeah there you go Gary any, any final wisdom you want to bestow upon the world before we depart this evening no just uh Brace yourselves, get ready for the winter and uh, level five because um, we're going there and keep, 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 keep well, wash your hands, wear a mask, don't be a prick. The, the, the latter bit I appreciate the most there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul, Paul the, the new Ross book is out and doing well as always and in your second book with Gordon Darcy will be, is it, it's out for Christmas, is it? Yeah, it's a, it'll be out uh Next week, actually, it's in the shop. Blue Thunder, it's called. Uh, we were signing copies in Bray today. Uh, it was a bit weird. We we're in the there's a warehouse above the shop in Bray in Dubray, mm. and um, we, there was a thousand books in there we had to sign. But we we were across the other the side of the room from each other, and we both had masks on and gloves. It was all just a bit strange, you know. But Jesus, uh, yeah, that's what I wrote that book during the during the first weeks of the lockdown. Well, we did, me and Gordon. So we'd kind of talk to each other every day about plot twists and all the rest, you know. So um, it was uh, it was it was what kept me sane when I wasn't playing badminton for the first three weeks of the lockdown. <laughs> Paul, is, is next badminton. year's Ross book written? No, I'm about to start it now. Um, in fact, I'm plotting it out at the moment. Usually takes about sort of two to three weeks just to plot it all out because I do, I, I, I do every single plot twist, every twist and turn, uh, I map it out. So there's no surprises when I'm writing it. So I like to just be able to concentrate on the funny lines when I'm writing it. I, I, I know where everything's going. Uh, so that'll be the next few weeks. I, I can't wait to hear about Ross on a motorbike heading up to pick blackberries now. That's what I'm taking away from. <laughs> <laughs> With a shaved head. With a shaved head. <laughs> Paul, have we an update on the uh, book that's doing for Penguin in the UK? Yeah. Uh, uh, no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I tell, I've finished it. I've, it's finished. It's written. And it's oh. gone. It's gone to them uh, last week. Uh, but... They haven't announced it yet. It's coming out in June of next year, but I haven't really announced what it's about yet, you know, because yeah, okay. then it might take attention away from the next Gordon Darcy book or something. <laughs> have we an update I, on Valley Black Boys? Oh, I'm hoping by the time I'm on next, I'll be telling you about it. Oh, oh. Christmas. Woohoo. <laughs> oh, yeah, we have to do Christmas. You see, you don't have me and Gary on enough. <laughs> we have to carry on more than me but see he doesn't have a reciprocal deal where he'll only come on if I'm on but I'll only come on if he's on it'd be great if we were on in the one room but I don't think that'll happen anytime soon either 
Unfortunately, not. No, I think no. it's. Uh, although I don't, we might get onto our friends in Fitzpatrick's and see can we get one of the big conference rooms, and we'll all stay forty feet away from each other in one of their lavish banquet halls. Oh yeah, yeah. that is great. Like at each end of a table, a big. Yeah, yeah, make it happen. That'd be the job. Yeah, okay, yeah that's Christmas that's tree in the middle. Danny, Mer- yo, where can you listen to pod to our podcast? Ah, uh, whatever. Just put just put WTS pod in. Fucking anything else that pops up is fake news. You just want me and Merlo's heads looking at you. Thank you. So the, what he meant yeah. by that was search WTS pod in any podcast provider: Spotify, <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Republic. He's at Dan Joe Murray on Twitter, Instagram. I'm at Merigomania, Twitter, Instagram. He's at Gar Mackle at Twitter. Don't follow him. He's very volatile at times, especially when he's had the Polish bear. Paul's at, at, at AKA Paul Howard on Twitter, and he's a diamond on Twitter. And that's us for another week. Just before you go, Danny, can you just move your camera down a little bit? Jesus, I thought that was a two-headed dog on the couch. That's a cushion with your dog's face on it. And it's resting, it's resting on his bottom. <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty much. It's a two-headed dog. So, yeah, so that's, that's Polly. Polly's allowed up on the sofa because she's small and she behaves. That's nice. I've enjoyed Thanks, that. Lads. I'm going to go Thanks, get me pop cornflakes. So... It's I been emotional. Thanks as well. It has indeed. Talk, talk to you later, lads. Right, guys. Cheers. See you, lads. Cheers.